0: I'm Mandy, And I'm Caitlin. And today, Caitlin is going to bring you the first part of a two-part case. It is a pretty well-known case, and I'm super excited to get a refresher course on this because I can't remember hardly any details. Okay, so today I'm going to be telling you guys about
1: Kristen Smart. I'm sure most of you remember this one. Um, It was a pretty crazy one, and more recently, they actually finally brought some things to a close, so I felt like it was a good time to finally kind of hash this one out. Everybody knows her name is Kristen Smart, but her middle name was Denise. She was born February 20th, 1977 in Augsburg, Bavaria in West Germany to Stan and Denise Smart. They were both teachers to children of military personnel. Okay, I was just going to ask. I'm like,
0: wait a second. Yeah,
1: so they were overseas teaching at uh, like on base or whatever at schools or whatever. So her parents had tried for a while to have kids and even though Um, even thought that maybe they were going to have to adopt and then they found out that they were pregnant. She had a brother and a sister, obviously after.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, and when she was a child, she moved with her family to Stockton, California. She attended and graduated from Stockton's Lincoln High School in 1995. She worked as a lifeguard and a camp counselor over the summer at Camp Mokulea in Hawaii. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. And something to note, Kristen is, was six foot tall. Six foot one, actually. Holy shit. Uh, blonde. And as her friends have said, gorgeous with legs for days. But at the time of her disappearance, she'd actually dyed her hair brown. Oh. Um. But all of the... All the pictures are blonde, right? All, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because it was like a very recent thing. So she enrolled at California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, or Cal Poly, as the locals call it in San Luis Obispo, California in 1996. So there's actually a scholarship that her parents put together after the fact for her, and I found a pretty good little, um, like, summary of her as a person, basically, from the website that I wanted to read for you guys. It says, Kristen was the first child of Stan and Denise Smart. She was born in Augsburg, Germany, where her parents were teaching the children of military personnel. She came into this world with an adventurous spirit that never left her. She believed in her dreams and always seemed to know the right steps needed to reach them. Her smile lit up the room and her hugs were contagious. The love for her family, especially her brother and sister, was without equal. Brother-sister squabbles never lasted long and she would always come up with a fun new action plan that got everyone on the same page. Although she could appear shy in new situations, she had an inner confidence that never held her back from any ambition she had. She loved family vacation, new adventures, and was always the planner. Summers were Kristen's favorite, and she was always drawn to something new. She spent the summer of her sophomore year in high school just outside London with family friends going to school. The next summer, she wanted to become fluent in Spanish and was an exchange student in Venezuela. The summer before her senior year, she was basking in the sun and perfecting her bike riding skills in the honors program at UCSB. Her last summer on this earth was what she called her dream job. She was a lifeguard and a camp counselor at Camp Mokulea in Hawaii. She set lofty goals and always seemed to find a way to achieve them. She was not one to give up on her passion for adventure. Music and the ocean left an indelible mark on everyone in our family. That was nice. Yeah, so that was their little excerpt about her on their page, which is kristinsmart.org, by the way. She did
0: a ton of stuff Mm -hmm. for being so young, Mm -hmm. which is awesome.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: So we're going to go ahead and
1: get right into the night of. I've got a little bit that I'm going to read and then I'm actually going to go back and read um, a good chunk of this. Some of it's going to be repeated, but the um, arrest warrant has a really good summary of, like, that first night of events and, like, People in it. So we'll go back and read that again here in a little bit. Okay. So May 25th, 1996, was the last day that Kristen Smart was ever seen. All right. So that night, Kristen and her friend Margarita go out to find a party with some other girls from their dorms. They did end up finding a party, but when they got there, Kristen called it a dud, so they left. Kristen and Margarita walked around a little bit um, and the other friends dropped them off and they left. So it was just her and Margarita kind of walking around. They start walking around a parking lot of some apartment complexes that are in the frat house area and Margarita decides that she's over it and she just wants to go home. She honestly didn't even really want to go out to begin with, but Kristen kind of coaxed her into going out. So she was like, cool. The party was a dud. I'm over this. I got to study. I got shit to do. I want to go home. Kristen's like, nah, I'm going to find another party. She was on a mission. (laughs) She was literally on a mission to go to a party that night. So they go back and forth. You know, Kristen's like trying to get her to go. And finally they decide that um, Kristen didn't have her wallet or her keys with her. So Margarita's like, I'll give you my key since you don't have yours. Because if I leave now, I can get back to the dorms before they lock the doors and I should be able to get in. So she was like, I'll give you my key. That way you can get in later. Margarita leaves. And Kristen starts walking over to a fraternity house, which is off of Crandall Way. She ends up at Ryan Swampy Fell's birthday party Swampy a little after Fell. ten. <laughs> yeah. So his nickname was Ryan was Swampy Fell. Ryan Swampy Fell. Um so she ends up at his birthday party a little after ten. There were only about twenty people there, and the people who attended the party um have always been pretty quiet about what happened there. So, a girl who went to high school with Paul remembered him always just showing up at parties, even though he was never actually invited to them. And she remembered him being very strange, and uh, I guess they all thought that he was somewhat harmless, though. She said that when she heard the news he was a suspect, she wasn't surprised at all because he was just so off. His nickname in high school was Scary Paul. Oh, God! Oh, God! And another woman who knew him in high school said that he had a stutter. It seemed to only really come out around girls or when he was, like, frustrated or embarrassed. And that group of girls called him Psycho Paul. Oh, no. I guess they had two friends named Paul, and one of them got to be Paul, and he was Psycho Paul because they also thought that he was a little off off and weird. Um, she said that he was one of those people who you just know isn't cool,
0: and you shouldn't or wouldn't want to be alone in a room with him. So not like he's not, like, a cool guy. He's just, like, something's wrong. No, like, any girl knows,
1: like, he's not okay. Like, yeah. you don't you don't want to be stuck in a room with him alone. Because you just don't know what's going to happen. That's so crazy. She said that she witnessed him actually pick one of her friends up at a party one time, completely unprompted, and just throw her. What? It was something to do with the weed they were smoking or something. Like, she ashed it and it got on the carpet or something. And he just, like, picked her up and just tossed her. And they were all like, what the fuck? Uh yeah. She also said that he would show up at parties unannounced. So, this is a this is a running theme here. Yeah. She recalls finding him in a room at a party with a passed out girl. And her and the guys who found him in there felt a little bit weird about it. But she was unsure if he was drinking or not. Um, But they know that the girl was. And she said that they never remembered actually seeing him drink at parties. They also, with that situation, like, felt weird about it. They were like, he said that he was, like, helping her, like... Like straighten her clothes out or something, which sounds like total bullshit. But what? these are high schoolers. Yeah. So, you know, we can't give them too much credit. <laughs> um, uh, very true. He worked at a small hamburger joint during high school, and one of his co-workers there said that he would actually take joy in making people feel uncomfortable, specifically girls. And then he realized, uh, she realized at one point that he was actually following her home after work. What? Creep. He told her that he wanted to know where she, like, she pulled up to her house, and then she kind of was like, what the fuck? And he was like, oh, I just wanted to know where you lived. And she was like, well, you could have asked me. I would have just told you. Yeah, not your business. Um, this, you know? Other times, he would follow her all the way up to her driveway. He would also just show up where she would be at around town sometimes saying that he wanted to see what she was up to. And her friends were like, oh, you have like a you have like an admirer slash stalker because he would just randomly be there.
0: Yeah. Like stalker. His
1: co-workers uh, roommate from that time said that she would even pick her up from work sometimes so she wouldn't be alone and said that uh, he would say things that made her feel really uncomfortable. Another co-worker actually became somewhat friends with him, but she said that he did childish things to try to get girls' attention, and he pretty much acted like a little kid on the playground, you know, that's, like, has a crush on a girl where he's just, like, a dick and, like, trips her and, like, does stupid shit because boys are stupid. And she said that he seemed like he would go out of his way to be a dick to girls. A different co-worker says that he used to pick on her all the time and that he actually groped her in the parking lot one time after work, And another time, he threw a handful of chopped onions in her eyes. She ended up punching him in the face, which was in front of some customers, and she got fired over it. Uh, She said that he would never be a guy you would want to trust, you would trust to walk a drunk girl home. A lot of people who knew him definitely weren't surprised when they heard that he might be involved in the case, and that was pretty much like the ongoing theme with everybody they talked to was like, damn, yeah, when I saw, I was like, oh, well, I can't say that I'm surprised because he was always fucking creepy. Like, there was always something that didn't feel quite right. Nobody ever expected him to actually, like, rape or murder somebody, but they didn't really know, you know what I mean? Like, he was just odd. mm -hmm. They had no idea. So, in December of 1995, he was reported as a peeping Tom, In February of '96, he was pulled over for speeding and blew a .13, which is one and a half times the legal limit in California, but he only got his license suspended. A few months later, he was pulled over for driving with a suspended license, and a warrant was put out for him when he failed to show up in court. On March 3rd, three female students reported being harassed via phone call and silent hang-up calls, filling up their voicemails, and they thought that it was him. Because it's the same apartment from the Peeping Tom incident. On May twenty seventh, 1996, two days after Kristen was last seen, the police showed up at Paul's house, but he wasn't home, so his dad said that he'd bring him to the station later. When he came in, they photographed him, and he actually had a fresh black eye. Which, at the time, Kristen's missing persons report had not been filed yet, so they didn't realize the significance of this, but they did actually photograph him with a black eye. Okay, good. Two days after she was last seen. On May 30th, Cal Poly Campus Police brought Paul in for questioning and noticed that his black eye and that he also had scratches on the backs of his hands and rug burn on his knees. He told them that he got the injuries on Monday playing basketball with his friend Jeremy which is the day that his mugshot was taken at the police department. However, his friend Jeremy said that he saw Paul on Sunday, so the day before the game, and he already had a black eye, and he told him that he didn't know how he got it. He just woke up with it.
0: Also, how do you get a rug burn playing basketball?
1: I don't know, <laughs> but it doesn't matter, because the point of this whole situation is that he just told the cops that he got a black eye yeah. playing basketball. He told his friend that he got the black eye a totally different day, sure. and he just woke up with it. On June 19th, he was interviewed by the police department and he told the cops that the black eye came from Monday morning at 2 a.m. working on his car trying to remove his stereo. Okay. So clearly he lied continuously about this black eye, which is obviously sketchy, and to all different people. Yeah. For what purpose, right? So two months after Kristen's disappearance, the police showed up at Paul Flores' house to search it, not for Kristen, but for any belongings of hers that might be there. They found multiple articles about Kristen's disappearance hidden around the house. One under his dad's mattress on his side of the bed, one under Paul's mattress, and one in the kitchen, like in a drawer or something. And this is weird because Paul at this time has not been released as even a suspect or a person of interest to the news media or anything right so it's not like he's in any of these articles as like a memento or a keepsake or something which would right. also be fucking weird that they would want to keep something about their son being attached to a missing girl and being the last person to see her but regardless of the fact they have these articles hidden around their house and he has not been released as a suspect or anything at this point so there's really no fucking reason for them to have these it's really weird it is that weird. they have them they didn't bring any cadaver dogs at this point, and though each of the cadaver dogs had alerted to human decomposition in his dorm room. So it's like they'd alerted in his dorm room, you'd think that they would have brought them to the parents' house at right. this point, but they don't they don't do that. Okay. So I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but we I wanna read the uh, warrant affidavit, what the cops have as their information from like the night of the party and what happened. Um, There's a little bit more in-depth information in this one, so I'm going to go ahead and read that to you guys. It says on Friday, five twenty-four ninety-six Memorial Day weekend, Kristen Smart attended a house party at one three five Crandall Way in San Luis Obispo. Smart attended the party alone. This location is an off-campus re- residence located within walking distance of the Cal Poly campus. Paul Flores was present at the same one three five Crandall Way party on 5, 1996. And attended alone also. According to numerous witnesses, during Smart's presence at the party, she was intoxicated and flirtatious towards many males at the party. One witness, Jennifer Malster, Malzer, Mastler? Anyway, Jennifer, who was present at the party, described Smart as kissing and rubbing up against various males. Smart was described as wearing a gray half-top or crop-top t-shirt, black vinyl shorts, and red Puma brand tennis shoes. Both Smart and Flores were acting aggressively with, op- with the opposite sex at this party. When interviewed by investigators, Paul Flores said he had no communication with Smart at the party except for when she briefly introduced herself as Roxy and walked away. Flores adamantly denied any incident at the party where he was near or on top of Smart on the floor and said that he had no interest in Smart. Side note, which we know is untrue because multiple witnesses at the party told the cops that they saw this happen. Tim Davis was one of the people that hosted the party this night. Davis told investigators Paul Flores appeared to be aggressive toward females at the party. Davis observed Paul Flores talking with Kristen at the party and hanging out around the bar area with Smart. Davis said at one point he heard a loud thump and saw Smart and Flores both laying on the floor in the hallway together. Another party goer, Kendra Coed, witnessed Flores and Smart fall to the floor and Coed helped Smart to her feet. Matt Toomey was at the party with his friend Ross Ketchum, who Kristen spoke to and was interested in. Toomey said he noticed Smart appeared to be intoxicated as her speech was slurred when she spoke to Ketchum. Ketchum walked away from Smart and Toomey. Toomey said Smart then asked him if he thought she was good looking, and Toomey told Smart she thought he thought she was good looking. Smart walked away from Toomey, and Paul Flores approached Toomey. Flores asked Toomey if he knew Kristen, and Toomey said no. Toomey said Flores made a comment to him to the effect that he thought Kristen Smart was good-looking. Toomey said he thought the impression from Flores was that Flores was interested in Smart and was going to talk to Smart. Paul Flores has told investigators in his interviews that he was not interested in Kristen Smart and did not find her attractive. Toomey's statement clearly disputes this and shows that Flores thought Kristen Smart was good-looking. During a 2001 undercover operation conducted by the FBI... Paul Flores told the undercover agent that he helped pick Smart up off the floor in the hallway at the party. Flores told the agent he did not know Smart's name and he had never met her. The agent asked Flores how much Smart weighed. He said, oh, I don't know how much. She told me she weighed maybe 140. At approximately 2.30 a.m. on 525.96, Tim Davis observed Smart laying on the front lawn of the neighbor's residence. Davis stated that Smart appeared to be passed out, therefore he approached her to see if she was okay. Davis described Smart as really drunk. At that time, Davis observed Cheryl Anderson, who he knew lived in the dorms, and Davis suggested that Anderson walk Smart back to the dormitories, where she and Smart both lived in separate buildings. At this time, Flores, who was outside of the 103 Kendall Way residence, approached Davis, Anderson, and Smart. Flores said he also lived in the dormitories and would walk Anderson and Smart back to the dorms. Davis asked Anderson if she would be okay walking back to the dormitories with Flores and Anderson replied, we can make it. Davis told investigators that Anderson was sober and Flores was intoxicated. Davis last saw Anderson, Smart and Flores walking away from the residence toward the recreation center on the Cal Poly campus. As Anderson, Smart and Flores walked back towards the dormitories on, uh, perimeter road. Anderson observed that Smart had difficulty walking due to her level of intoxication. Flores had his arm around Smart's waist to steady her. At one point, Flores and Smart stopped along the way, at which point Anderson stopped as well. Flores put his arms around Smart to hug her. When Flores stopped to hug Smart, Flores told Anderson, that's okay, you can go ahead. Anderson said she felt this was suspicious. Therefore, she did not want Flores to walk alone with Smart. Anderson said whenever Flores hugged Smart, Anderson, did not see Smart hub him, hug him back. Smart only leaned against him for support. Anderson continued to walk with both Flores and Smart. As the three of them reached the intersection of Perimeter Road and Grand Avenue on the Cal Poly campus, Anderson had to walk south on Grand Avenue to get to her dorm building of Sierra Madre. She stated Flores and Smart had to continue walking east on Perimeter Road to get to their prospective dorm buildings. Smart resided in Mir mere dorm building and Flores resided in Santa Lucia. Prior to Anderson leaving, she said Flores asked for a kiss. Anderson told him no. Anderson said Smart was leaning on Flores for support due to her intoxicated state and this is the last time Kristen Smart was seen by anyone other than Paul Flores. I think it's interesting that she told the cops that she felt uncomfortable with him walking her but then somehow ends up allowing him to continue to walk her without her. Like, please tell me where... I just don't understand where that... The disconnect is. ...started. Yeah. Because she literally said, something's off, I don't feel comfortable about this. And then when it got time to get to her dorm, she's like, cool. Yep. Go ahead. You can take her by yourself. I'm done. Yep. Like... She peaced out. What the fuck happened, Cheryl, in that moment? I'm, like, really confused. On Monday, 5 96 Jennifer Phipps reported Kristen Smart missing to the Cal Poly Police Department... A report was not taken at that time. Phipps knew Smart from living in the same dorm building. When Smart still had not returned on Tuesday, the 28th, Phipps called the San Luis Obispo Police Police Department to report Smart missing a second time. The report was ultimately referred to the Cal Poly Police Department, and Cal Poly began their investigation on Tuesday, the 28th. Investigators later spoke with Kristen Smart's roommate, Crystal Calvin, Calvin stated that she last saw Kristen Smart during the evening hours of Friday the 24th and she stated that Kristen Smart was looking for a party to attend. Calvin said Kristen Smart never returned to the room that night on the 24th and she began to get worried when Kristen Smart did not return on the 25th or Sunday the 26th. Calvin and Smart often stayed out all night, but always returned within a 24-hour period. Calvin was concerned because Kristen Smart did not go anywhere overnight without her red backpack that contained makeup and toiletry items. That red backpack was laying on Kristen Smart's bed on the morning of Saturday the 25th in the same position she left it in when she left the dorm on the 24th. On Tuesday, 5:28:96, 96 Cal Poly investigators contacted Paul Flores in his dorm room. Investigators stated he was extremely nervous and his heart was pounding under his t-shirt. Investigators noticed yellowish discoloration beneath his right eye. Investigators later interviewed Flores multiple times and he gave several different renditions of how and where he last saw Kristen Smart during the early morning hours of Saturday 5:25:96. 96 Flores first told investigators he suffered the black eye while playing in a basketball game on Monday with Jeremy Moon and two other males. Flores said he was elbowed in the face during the game, which caused the black eye. Jeremy Moon was later interviewed by investigators and said that he picked up Flores from his father's house on Sunday. And when he picked up Flores, he noticed that he had a black eye. Moon thought it was odd. Therefore, he asked Paul about it. What happened to you? Did you get rat-packed at the party? Paul told Moon he did not know how he got the black eye. He said, I just woke up with it. Moon said... I know he had the black eye on Sunday night, and he didn't get it playing basketball. Ruben Flores, which is Paul's dad, said that he picked up Flores from campus on 526 and returned to his house in Rio Grande. Paul Flores began working on a stereo in their Ford Ranger pickup before taking a nap. According to Ruben, he went to wake up Paul from his nap on Sunday and observe the dark blue or something like that. Mark on Paul Flores's eye. Ruben Flores asked Paul Flores what happened to his face, and Paul stated that he didn't know he had anything on his face. Paul then went and looked in the mirror and said, oh gee, I must have got it working on the car or sleeping or something. During a subsequent civil uh, deposition, Ruben Flores said Paul Flores began working on his truck. Ruben Flores admitted to seeing scratches on the knees of Paul on Sunday in the same deposition. In December of 1998, Detective Crawford requested Dr. Kuzumoto examine photographs of the bruise on Paul Flores' face. Dr. Kuzumoto provided a report saying he believed the bruise was zero to three days old, could not have been caused by a steering wheel, and the injury was likely not self caused. Flores also had the black eye on a 52796 booking photo when he was booked by AGPD for an unrelated warrant. Paul Flores was interviewed multiple times during the infancy of this investigation. During a filmed June 19, 1996 interview, Investigator Hobson leaned over to Paul Flores and said, There is no doubt in our minds that you know what happened to Roxy, or Kristen. Flores clearly nodded his head up and down in the affirmative motion and said, Yeah. So I have one other little excerpt that I want to read from this, um, from this warrant. And... That's skipping us all the way to 2019. So on 10-22-2019, Sheriff Parkinson received an email from District Attorney Dan Dow. The email contained five attachments. DA Dow located these electronic documents that belonged to former DA Shea. One of the five attachments was a series of chronological electronic notes taken by DA Shea. This document was titled Smart 5 Among the content in these notes was an entry dated May 2, 2010, quoting De La Monte as stating, I just want to say one thing, and I shouldn't even be saying this, but if you'll come to me with an offer of an involuntary with only one condition, and that is that he'll take law enforcement to the body, then I can make that deal happen. A key component in the litany of plea options discussed was that Paul Flores would lead investigators to Smart's body. His own attorney reflected such an ability as recently as 2010. Considering the legal professionals involved, the extended timeline over which the dialogue dog took place and the fact that the case had not been filed criminally at any point in in time leads clearly to the conclusion that Paul Flores is criminally involved in her death.
0: If he were not, there
1: would be no such need for a plea in the first place.
0: Okay. Yikes. So
1: that's what I'm going to leave you guys with today. Um, next week, we're going to dive a bit deeper into this. Um, and we'll go forward because there are other aspects of this case that I haven't explained yet. Um, but, yeah. That's us pretty good cliffhanger <laughs> mm-hmm. so i mean i i guess there's not really a whole lot that we can chat about at this time because we haven't really gotten all the nitty-gritty in there yet yeah, but yet. basically the cops from day one were like oh well, paul's last one to have seen her he's been lying about multiple things this seems pretty fishy he's creepy yeah everybody's got pretty much the same opinion of him that he's creepy and yeah yeah. So,
0: anyway. So interesting. You know, I usually think creepy people are, like, older, but this kid's, like, he's, like, 18 or 19, right? I mean, did you not ever have anybody in high school that you were, like, felt weird about or
1: felt like they were a little off or, like, made you feel uncomfortable? Because there was definitely a couple people that I felt uncomfortable around. Yeah. Um, At one point, I actually had
0: a stalker who was leaving me notes in my locker, and I never figured out who it was. Yeah. I mean, you can be crazy at any age, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. It's just... I don't think I had anybody that I can really think of right now. There are a couple of girls that are kind of weird, but uh, yeah, there was, I mean, I do remember some crazy things that happened outside of school, you like weird people, but not anybody that I was really closely associated with. So, but yeah, I'm excited to hear next week because I don't remember the details of this case at all. So this is really um, kind of fun for me to listen to. I mean, it's a terrible case. Obviously, but that's what we do. We cover terrible cases and it's still intriguing. So, yeah. Okay, so there's no trivia with this episode. Uh, we are going to do it at the end of episode or part two of the Kristen Smart case. So, we just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for um, engaging with us on social media if you have. And if you haven't, come on, guys, engage. All right, we also would love any cases that you would like us to cover. Let us know. Let us know any series that you're interested in. And that's all we got for you today. So, as always, remember don't Don't get in the van.